Welcome to the Extra Point Podcast. Extra Point is part of the preaching ministry of Modern Baptist Church in East Texas. The Extra Point provides helpful follow-up to Sunday's message. Specifically, Extra Point allows us to discuss some of the extra points from the message that we didn't have time to fully discuss on Sunday, and even answer questions from the listening audience. If you have questions, you can submit them at extrapointatmoberly.org. I'm Paul Coleman, the teaching pastor at Moberly, and today I'm joined by Greg Martin, who serves at Moberly as the pastor of congregational care. Greg, welcome this morning, and let's get started. Paul, it's great to be here. I know that uh, this Sunday we began a new sermon series entitled Above Every Other. Can you talk just a little bit about what the idea was behind this sermon series, Paul? Yeah, um, you know, the idea behind every other comes from Philippians 2.9, where the Bible says that uh, the Lord God gave Jesus a name that is above every other name. And and really, what we want to do over the next few weeks is actually go back and look through the Old Testament and even some of the New Testament and look at the different names of God and let those names inform us as to his character and his the different attributes that he has, because there are various names throughout the Bible that describe unique attributes about God, and they bring great clarity to his identity. And that's part of the reason that they're there, is to help us know him better and to reveal his character to us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to just take various names of God from the Bible and study those and see how they apply to our lives. You know, a lot of people know facts about God, Paul, but it seems like your emphasis in this is, is more than just knowing facts about God, but it's really about knowing God personally. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. To me, the whole, really the greater story of the Bible is that God wants to be known. <clears throat> Excuse me. He has been revealing himself since the very beginning, the very first verse of the Bible, all the way to the end of the Bible. And He's he wants people to know who he is. And so I often tell people, as you read the Bible, one of the things that to be watching for is what is this passage, what is this particular interaction between God and these people or God's commands here or his uh, promises or whatever it is, what does this say about who he is? What does this say about his character? Because everything in the Bible is meant to reveal to us as humans what God's like. We can't see God with our eyes. We don't hear him with our ears. So we experience him through faith by, by looking at what he said about himself in the Bible and then putting our faith in those things and trusting that that's who we're praying to and that's who is uh, invisible and yet real. And so um, Jesus said, John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. So in that context, <clears throat> excuse me, in that context, the, the idea of knowing God, knowing who he is, is not a, it's not a theoretical or a... Um, a, I guess a surface kind of knowledge. It's a very intimate, personal knowledge, kind of knowledge where you would say, I know someone, I know them very well. And um, and that's the kind of knowledge he's talking about here is to know God. And I think a lot of people probably know about God and have experience with um, understanding and learning things about God. But we talked about a little bit yesterday, even in the introduction, the difference between that and actually knowing God personally and taking those things that you learn about him into his presence and actually by faith saying, well, because this is what the Bible says about you, this is who I know you are. This is who I'm going to experience you as. Well, and I know um, a lot of times we look at the Bible as just a series of stories that are disconnected. But Paul, you're right. The uh, 
the Bible is uh, a one continuous revelation of who God is about us. And we need to, uh, as we study the bits and pieces of the Bible, put them in the bigger context of who God is and what he's trying to tell us. You mentioned the, this idea of biblical meditation versus other kinds of meditation. I know meditation is one of those words that can have a kind of a bad rap, but uh, it, it seems like from from your perspective, what you shared Sunday, that, that there is a positive aspect of this meditation. Can you can you share a little bit more about that, Paul? I think people don't understand meditation. I say people. Christians today seem to be a little bit weary of that idea, and certainly there are um, unbiblical forms of meditation, Eastern meditation, the idea of emptying your mind of all thought. And uh, and that can be dangerous even, especially if you don't know the Lord, because you open yourself up, I believe, to darkness and spiritual darkness in your life. But without going to all that, I think that's sometimes what people think of as meditation, you know, sitting somewhere with your arms, cro- your legs crossed, your arms crossed and whatever, focusing on some central thing. To me, biblical meditation is this idea of rumination. I, I read some quotes from Charles Spurgeon that were that are found actually in J.I. Packer's book called Knowing God, which is an excellent resource. Uh, one of the quotes I didn't read from, from Spurgeon is that he says, Meditation is an activity of holy thought, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. I love that. The Bible talks a lot about meditation. There are several places in Scripture where it refers to the idea of meditating. In Joshua 1, 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. David talked a lot in the Psalms about meditating uh, on my bed at night or meditating on all your works and all your deeds. The Bible talks a lot about meditation, and the idea of biblical meditation is an idea of really rumination. I heard a guy use an illustration once that it's like a cow chewing its cud. <laughs> it's kind of a gross illustration, but you know, a cow brings its food back up and chews it and chews it and rechews it and rechews it until it, it can go from ingesting it to digesting it. And I think that's the difference sometimes between people who just hear the Word of God and those who really chew on it and chew on it until they bring it to a conclusion in their mind. And I think that's really the idea of biblical meditation, because sometimes we, an idea that we see in the Bible is so foreign to our experience. Even something as simple, and I mentioned this uh, Sunday, the idea of God's love. We all know that God loves, God is God of love, God is love, and that God loves every person. We know that in theory, we know that as a truth, but in terms of experiencing His love, we only experience His love when we when we meditate on it to the point that it becomes true in our lives, that we conclude, you know what? Okay, I know He loves me. It's okay. I can believe He loves you or somebody else, but it's a little more difficult for him to, for me to believe He loves me knowing what I've done and knowing who I am and the ways that I failed Him. But as I, as I ruminate on that, as I study that and I meditate on that and I think about it and my mind becomes occupied with that, Ultimately, I get to the place where I become convinced that that's true for me. And that's the kind of the art of biblical meditation is just thinking on something over and over again. As Spurgeon says, holy thought, where you're preoccupied. I mentioned a quote yesterday from uh, A.W. Tozer where he talked about that the most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think of God. And people used to talk about Tozer who is a great, great author. If you've never read anything by A.W. Tozer, there's some great resources of his, Pursuit of God, The Knowledge of the Holy, several different resources that he wrote. But 
people would say that he was always seemed preoccupied uh, when he was in a crowd of people. He would he seemed to be focused on something else, kind of, and, and his preoccupation was with the Lord. He was focused on the Lord all the time, um, and just consumed with thoughts about who God is and what God is in his life and where God is and how close God was to him, and so. That's kind of the idea of biblical meditation is that we're focused on the Lord and He's on our mind constantly. It, it kind of goes along with what the New Testament talks about when it says pray without ceasing, that idea of being in a continual, open state of communion with God and communication to God. Yeah, I, one of the first verses I learned as a teenager was was the Joshua 1.8 passage, and I love it because I think it, what we meditate on affects the way that we live. It, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouths but you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. There's an there's an element of transformation in this meditation. I think about Romans where it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this meditation is such an important part of how God renews our mind as we think about him. Yesterday, uh, Sunday, you talked about uh, uh, a couple of very specific things as you talked about two very specific names that we see for God in the Old Testament. Why did you choose those two names? to start with, Paul? We talked about the name Elohim and the name Yahweh, and those two names are the basic two names that are used for God throughout most of the Old Testament. And and the other names that we're going to look at are names that are added on to those names. So those you can think of those as root names, essentially. Elohim is the name that you see for God. In most of your English translations, anytime you see the word God or the title God, the word is almost always Elohim, and Elohim means creator, powerful, supreme, sovereign. It's this idea of a very powerful God who has none above him. He is the highest God in all the world, all creation, all the universe, beyond the universe. Uh, he is the only true God, and he is sovereign. That means that he is in control. He is completely able to do whatever he wants to do at any moment, as much control as he wants to have, he's able to have it. He doesn't have to answer to anyone. He's above every other God. And there are some of his other names that also talk about that, but that's what the name Elohim means. And so when you think about God Elohim in Genesis chapter 1, you see him creating the heavens and the earth and all the things that happened there in the first seven days of creation. And then Yahweh is more personal. Yahweh, you remember in Exodus 3, we talked about this Sunday, that when Moses said, well, who am I supposed to tell when I go to the Israelites and say that, that God wants to free you from your bondage and take you to a wonderful place? Who am I supposed to tell the people sent me? And he said, tell them I am that I am sent you. And that's what the name Yahweh means, self-existent, personal, and present. So when you go back and read Genesis 2, beginning in like verse 4, I think the rest of the chapter talks about the personal aspects of this, what God did Elohim, this amazing uh, sovereign, powerful God, but also that he's very personal and present uh, and self-existent. We could talk about that a long time, but um, those two ideas form the basis for what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. And each week, I'm going to take two names, one based on the root El, Elohim, and the other based on the root of Yahweh, and talk about how those two things go together. Those two concepts, the idea of God's transcendence um, things about God that none of us could ever duplicate or even have a hard time understanding, honestly, just his greatness uh, versus his eminence, how close he is, how personal he is. Those two things kind of compose the majesty of God, that he's so other than us, but he's so close to us at the same time. And it's a beautiful thing when you think about that. And those two ideas are communicated through his names over and over and over again. 
And so uh, I chose those two names just to kind of give us a starting point. One of the things that I said was that families could go back and actually go through Genesis 1 and 2 and look at those two names. And because uh, anytime you see Lord God in the English translation, it's almost always Yahweh. And so, uh, but you can, there's tools we can talk about in a little bit about how to look those things up and know those. But I gave the families a couple of ideas to go back and look at Genesis 1. And every time you see the word God, the name God, the title God, to actually use the name Elohim with your family as you read that and describe him as powerful, supreme, and sovereign, because it's a way to teach our kids some some great theological truths about God. Instead of just saying God, talk about his names. And then when you get to Genesis 2 and you read about all the things he did, he planted a garden, he watered the garden, he put the man in the garden, he breathed life into the man, he created woman, he created all the animals, all those kind of provisionary things that God did to talk about Yahweh, that he's self-existent, he's always been, I am that I am, and yet he's personal and present as well. And then, you know, there's several places in Scripture, and and it's a great study just to be able to go through and do that. But Psalm 19 is a great example of another place where you can go through and you see the very beginning, the first six verses talk about Elohim, and the bottom, from seven, verse 7 all the way to the end of that chapter, talk about Yahweh and the difference between those two. And you see in the first few verses how it emphasizes the power of God, and in the other verses you see how it emphasizes more of the personal nature of who God is. So there's some great things that families can do in terms of studying that. And, and for me, once I knew the names of God, then any time that I would see God's name in the Bible, it's hard for me not to take um, a tool out and begin to say, okay, which name of God are we talking about here? Because it's so specific, and I love that, that God's character is revealed not in general, but in great detail to us so that we can understand who it is that we love and serve. You know, it's almost like looking at a diamond, and there's all these different facets of it when you see these different names of it. Because I think about the the sovereignty of God. If that's all you knew and you didn't know he was personal, that would stilt your view of God. But if you only knew he was personal but you didn't know he was sovereign, that would change your view. So God gives us all these things so that we can do that. That's a great point. Let me just say something about that. I think you're right. We tend to emphasize one or the other. People do. If you just emphasize Elohim, this this amazing, powerful God— then he seems distant and cold and maybe uninterested in what's going on in our lives and the details of our lives. We might think, as Israel thought many times, well, God's, God's not really paying attention to me right now. We know God's great. He created the heavens and the earth, but he's probably too busy or too important to deal with my stuff. But on the other hand, if you believe that God's personal and you know that he is, as Yahweh communicates to us, if you only emphasize that, then you might, you know, I saw a thing several years ago. We were at a camp in uh a kid had a cap on that said, Jesus is my homeboy. And it it just completely, poor kid, I mean, it just completely offended me. I know what the cap was trying to communicate. It was trying to communicate that Jesus is personal, he knew. And I just walked up to the kid and I said, Jesus is not your homeboy. <laughs> and he said, what? And I said, your cap says, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is not your homeboy. He's your friend. He's your savior. He loves you more than life itself. He gave his life for you. But I said, He's not just your boy to hang out with or whatever. He's not because sometimes I think people overemphasize the personal nature of God to the exclusion of his power. And so the two things together are really powerful and beautiful when you understand them together. So they help us have a balanced view. I, the challenge for us, I think, sometimes, Paul, is it, is to read through the Bible as we have it today. We don't catch these nuances. So talk just a little bit, if you don't mind, about some of the tools that you use that that we could 
suggest to people to help them as they try to do these kinds of studies? Yeah, there's a great tool, resource online, and I mentioned yesterday in the message that I would talk about maybe what some of those resources were. One of those is an app you can download on your phone, or it's a website either way. It's called Bible Hub, H-U-B, BibleHub.com. And at Bible Hub, you can type in any passage of Scripture, and there's all kinds of tools there. There's commentaries there. What I like to do, especially in a study about the names of God like this, where you're wanting to know which particular name the Bible is talking about any particular passage, you can type in whatever passage you're studying or reading, and then there's a little there's a little tab that says INT, which stands for interlinear, which if you know any, a little bit about Bible study, you know that an interlinear basically gives you the English, and then it gives you the original language either above it or underneath it, and then each of those words in the original language you can click on, you can hit them with your finger on, if you're on a smart device, um, or mouse over them, and you can click on it, it'll take you to another page that has more detail about what that is. So in the interlinear, for example, you can see <clears throat> that the name Elohim is being used or the name or some version of Elohim, because sometimes as you parse these, these uh, names and different words out, they may have a different ending on them, but you'll see that it's Elohim or you'll see that it's Yahweh, or you may see that it's one of these other future names we're going to be studying in the future weeks here about um, that are that are come off of Elohim or Yahweh, and so there's a way to do that. So I would encourage you. It, it's a free app. It doesn't cost anything. It's solid as far as the biblical content that's there. You don't have to worry about that. Whether you're going to be getting some kind of weird teaching, and so uh, I would encourage you to use that. It's a great tool. There are others out there as well, but that's one that I use quite a bit, and it's just so easy and it's so user friendly. And um, and you may not understand everything. There are numbers that correspond with each word that you'll find in the interlinear, and you can click on that number, and it'll take you to Strong's Concordance, or um, I think it's Strong's that they link up with, which is a just a a well-known uh, concordance that's been out for many, many years that helped people. But you have some ideas about some tools too, right, Greg? Yeah, there's a couple of things that I've found helpful. I am by no means a, a, a scholar. I, I majored in Pig Latin when I took a, a, a college <laughs> foreign language course. But uh, a couple of tools I've found really helpful. I found a great Bible about a year ago called the Hebrew Greek Keyword Study Bible. And basically it has a lot of those tools in that in the Bible. So if I see the word God and it's got a number beside it, which is the Strong's Cross Reference, I can go to the back of that Bible and it tells me which word it's using. So that's one that's just a very tangible tool. I've also used one called Vines uh, Complete Expository Dictionary, which sounds heavy, but wow. I can look up the word God and see uh, how it's used, what pa passages it's used in. So these are just some tools. The other one that I use sometimes, it's similar to the one that you use. It's called My Word Search. It's it's a uh, app, app.wordsearchbible.com, but it gives you the option to see the original language and, and click on it and see what that word that's used in. And again, um, you don't have to be a Hebrew or Greek scholar to see the, the correlation and the uh, the nuances that sometimes we miss with even with current translations, which are wonderful, but uh, we we do that. So, so let me let me bring it down to this, Paul. Some people would go, boy, this is, sounds like a great theoretical exercise, right? This is a lot of knowledge that we just need to have. But but if you could just share. What is the day-to-day -day importance of what we're talking about here, Paul, about really understanding who God is through His names? It goes back to what I said at the beginning, uh, just knowing God. <clears throat> As we go through life, we face, all of us face, 
things we could never imagine. We're going through a period of time right now in the life of our country, in the world, and even in the life of our church uniquely right now. None of us would ever believe we would be here. And so in those moments, especially in those moments, uh, we get a diagnosis we didn't expect or something else tragic happens maybe in our lives. Someone's taken unexpectedly from us that we love and count on. You know, it's in those moments that our understanding of God can make or break us. If we don't have a close personal relationship with God or we don't really know what God is like and we tend to think he's one of those extremes we talked about a minute ago that he's just really sitting on my shoulder and he's a little angel. He just personally just approves everything that I do and makes me feel good. Or he's so powerful and remote that I don't really have access to him and I'm not close to him. He's just out there in the universe doing whatever he does every day and he doesn't have anything to do with me. Either of those extremes doesn't provide much help to us when we go through really struggles in our life. And not just struggles. We always go there because because all of us do face really difficult times, and we are going through a hard time right now. But all the moments of your life, knowing God is what life is all about. That's what Jesus was really saying. This is eternal life. Knowing God, it's a, it's, it, is a, it brings all the wonderful things that we want, love, peace, joy, hope, all those things that we long for and that we look for, all of that comes as a natural benefit of knowing God. And the, the wonderful thing about knowing God is that it goes on forever. And so all the things that I know about God now are only going to enrich my experience when I see Him face to face. And and I've, I've said this in previous messages, but to me, the thing that kind of drives me in my life is I don't want to it's probably going to happen anyway, but I, as much as I can avoid this, I don't want to stand before God someday and go, oh, if I'd only known you were so much more amazing than I ever thought or believed. Well, God's given us his revelation, and it's a complete revelation. Does that mean we know everything about God? We, know ev- we can know everything about him that he wants us to know about him right now. So that when we do stand before him, it's not this fearful thing of I'm going to stand before someone I've never stood before before that I don't know. No, it's I'm going to finally see face-to-face this one that I love that I already know personally really well because I've studied him and and because his names are a part of that. So I was going to ask you, before you asked that question, Greg, I was going to ask you the same question. For you, how does knowing God personally, how has it changed your life? Well, it has helped me to not be ruled by, We you talked about this a little bit yesterday, we've not been ruled by our emotions. Too often I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm sad, I'm happy, whatever, but I'm not being ruled by the truth of who God is. And when you can rest in that truth and know He's consistent and know He loves you, no matter how I feel, know that He's died for my sins, no matter how I feel about myself, to know that uh, that He's going to take care of me because He's promised to do that, to know those things because I've considered who God is and what his promises are to me that has made such a difference for me and quick analogy you talked about when we do finally see God when my grandchildren were little we'd never met them face to face because they lived in California but we were able to FaceTime with them and they heard who we are and they saw a representation of us and so when we met them uh, for the first time physically we weren't strangers and so I think that's the way it is for us the more that we seek to know God it's going to be so much more comfortable that first time that we stand in his presence and are just blown away by his his greatness and his love. That's it. It's a personal relationship. And 
I love what Spurgeon said in that quote. He said, all this is intended to lead us to God. It's not just about being a theologian or knowing theological truth. That's, that's not the reason God revealed himself, so that we would say we know more, so we can say we know him. It's personal. So we hope this has helped you as you think about studying God and, and understanding God in your life and having a personal relationship with Him and knowing Him better. Uh, we hope this has been helpful to you perhaps as you lead your connect group right now remotely or a discipleship group of people that you're meeting with or in your own personal study. So I hope you'll join us next time for Extra Point or online this coming Sunday at Moberly. For more information, you can go to moberly.org.